Blog Talk Radio. Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting knowledge that is engaging and transforming. We're listening, we're empowering our listeners to be knowing, doing, being, and impacting the world around them. You are welcome to join with us in this illuminating journey. You can reach us on our line. Call in 917-388-4293. You can join us. We're live in the chat room at uh, blogtalkradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace. Send us an email at ltneal.cox.net. However you can get in touch with us, guys, we are excited that you can. I am so grateful for everybody who listens to the show. You've been giving us tremendous support, and I'm thankful to you. And for those who are listening now, those who will be listening in the future, I thank you in advance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new every morning. We thank you that you have allowed us to experience another day's journey. You've given us a reasonable portion of health and strength. We're getting ready to go into our dialogue. We just pray, God, that you would just 
give the insight that is necessary to be liberated from the bondages that Satan has placed on us. Free us in our thoughts, free us in our souls, free us in our bodies, so that we can better serve and please you in the newness of life. So I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I pray everyone had a great weekend. Um, I had a wonderful weekend, uh, football games, battle of the bands, <laughs> and church services were just awesome. And I tell you, uh, I think I spent the entire weekend somewhere <laughs> other than the house, and I was just really grateful that I was able to do some of the things I did. I had a great time. And, you know, since this is football season, everybody is watching football. You know, some of y'all Saints fans, Cowboys fans, Chicago Bears fans, I know you guys, Steelers, I know y'all were watching some of the games yesterday, and, hey, and uh, Giants and the Colts, some good games going on, but I I don't care about that because tonight is when the real team play, the New Orleans Saints. Tonight, 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 they play, they play, they play, and we're looking forward to seeing how they're going to tear some things up. I'm cheering them, cheering them on, on up to victory, you know, you know. Hey, it's a good pastime for people, for America. But God be praised anyway. We're just thankful. We had a great weekend, and uh, weekends are good for everybody. And I, I do pray that you did have a very good weekend, a pleasurable and enjoyable weekend. Uh, let's get into some of the news today. Well, to begin off, to begin to start off, it is officially dead. That's right. It's officially dead. The um, they have reported that the oil rig, the well that it was spilling in the Gulf, is officially killed. It has been it has been sealed permanently. Will not be reopened. The relief well, all the efforts that they have been done, the L, the well that caused so much havoc in the Gulf for nearly three months, is officially sealed and it won't be open ever again. And um, it's a great thing. I I, I know so many when. Admiral Thad Allen made the announcement on Sunday after they had tested and made sure that it was uh, cleared. You know, there was some rejoicing across the state and across the Gulf Coast. But still, so many people are still suffering. Uh, still a lot of people unemployed um, because of the situation. Uh, of course, there's still the moratorium that President Obama has put on that should be ending within the next few months. But it's it's causing a lot of people to suffer. But but um, they are coming, you know, we're moving along, still inviting people to come out to the Gulf Coast. It's still beautiful this time of the year. Still come out and eat the fish, eat the shrimp. The seafood is still great. So come on down. And, you know, the other good thing is that oh, that uh, BP is doing their job. They paid out nearly $9 billion in claims and things already, and they still have $20 billion in escrow for later time. And you know you have to commend the way BP has, uh, you know what they've done, how they how they put out the ads, and how they've set aside the money, and how they've been doing their best to to help um, these people along the Gulf Coast. And it's a good thing. But you know there's there's still plenty of work to be done, still plenty that has to be done, and still families that have to recover after this great crisis. Still a lot of work to be done. Other news. I don't know if you've been following this, but uh, this past weekend, there was uh, a search going out for this supposed cult in South uh, Southern California, right outside of Los Angeles. Now, I, I, it caught my attention because, of course, you know, they mentioned a potential cult, and automatically when they said cult, you know, it caught my attention. But uh, the group of El Salvadorian immigrants that have been described as cult-like by sheriff officials. They're led by this 32-year-old lady named uh, Raina Marisol Chica, and uh, she's from Palmdale in northeast Los Angeles County. And what happened was basically all the members left behind cell phones, <clears throat> left behind their identifications, they left deeds to property, and they left, letter, they left letters saying they were waiting for the rapture to occur. And, you know, of course, some of their spouses, most of them are women, and their spouses and families got concerned, and they sent out missing persons alerts, and the sheriff's department began to look for them, and all of this, only to find them in a park praying. And 
you know, that uh, I'm kind of, you know, it's a confusing thing, but the good thing is that they found them safe and sound. And according to the news, when they when when the police found them, they were praying, and none of the people realized that they were missed. You know, they were being searched for. They had no idea that people were looking for them. They had no idea of the great concern, and, and you know, they expressed that they weren't crazy. They weren't doing anything that they thought was wrong. They were simply following. You know, they were simply awaiting. And then the sheriff, uh, sheriff department, uh, in the press release said that in the letters it it was it could be interpreted as being suicidal. It could be interpreted as such and such. And you know that leads leads a lot of people to wonder about some fanaticism in Christianity. And we're going to talk about that later on. I'm trying not to jump ahead of myself, but uh, we got to address this because there are some crazy people in Christianity on both sides. <laughs> you know. There's extremists in every religion, and not just in Islam, as the world is trying to dog out the uh, Islamic extremists. We have them in Christianity, too, and, and various factions. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. I just thought that was an interesting interesting um, news story, particularly because uh, we've seen these events in you know in the recent history. In, in less than 20 years, uh, and we've, we've seen two cults here in the States with... Um, the David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, where, you know, they were preparing for an all-out assault, and, of course, they ended up in a mass suicide of children and, and some killing, the murder of some of the um, uh, agents, the federal agents who were involved in the raid. And, of course, we, we think about in 1997 with uh, the Heaven's Gate cult where about 35 people committed mass suicide waiting to get on the spaceship to take them to the next planet. And, you know, for those of us who are a little bit older who can remember, we think about Jonestown and Jim Jones who <laughs> led all these people away from the United States into Guyana. And when people, you know, when the congressperson came and, and they were finding out all these different things, instead of, you know, letting them go gracefully, he killed the congressman. Then he forced over 900 people to commit a mass suicide by drinking the Kool-Aid. And, you know, now we say, you know, don't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> when we say that, we're, we're talking about the foolishness and the craziness that some people offer. But, it's, it's, you know, it's still fresh wounds in, in the minds of Americans when we, we hear about cults. And, and reality is that they're more cult-like uh, Christian sects than we would care to admit. And that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, too. And since we're talking about church and we're talking about cults and we're talking about all this, uh, on yesterday, on Sunday, President Obama attended church for only the sixth time since he's been president. So he's been president for nearly two years, and he's only been to church six times. Now, he does worship when he goes to Camp David. He, he does worship at the chapel at Camp David. And... He has not been to church. You know, it's, it's sporadic that he goes to church. And he went to church uh, Sunday at St. John's, which is, of course, the National Cathedral, the National uh, Episcopal Cathedral, where most uh, most presidents worship, and that's where most of the national celebrations are held. And um, he went, and he enjoyed himself, and it was a short walk from the White House across the park to the church. And, you know, it's, it, you probably wonder why in the world am I talking about this? The president went to church. Okay, big deal. Well, the, the reason I'm talking about this and the reason I'm addressing it and the reason I think it's big news is because he um, he says he doesn't take his family to church till he hasn't joined a church in Washington because he believes that he and his family would inconvenience the congregation. Of course, you know, it, you know, with the president you have all the security, you have all these things that have to be taken care of. And, of course, you know, that those are some great issues and concerns, but the problem is that he is the only sitting president who has not joined a church and does not plan to join a church. That says a lot right there. And since in the past weeks that people have been questioning his uh, Christianity, his faith, how convenient is it that he has decided to go to church <laughs> because about 50% of the people did not believe that he was Christian. They actually believed that he was a Muslim or secretly a Muslim. 
and it's convenient that he goes to church. And, by the way, the service was just an hour, so it, it didn't take up a lot of his time. He was able to get in and join a sermon that was talking about the uh, the shrewd serpent, the manipulative serpent from Luke 16. And, you know, he got out and got back to work. And the other issue is, you know, uh, <laughs> is that I, I, I think about what happened when he was campaigning. He was a member of Trinity Unitarian uh, uh, United Church of Christ in Chicago where the great Reverend Dr. Gerald Meyer White was the pastor and uh, my good uh, acquaintance and uh, great scholar, teacher, and all-around good guy, uh, Reverend Otis Moss III, is now the senior pastor there. Uh, and if you if you go back and you jog back in memory, uh, you realize that he left the church because of the controversy of Reverend Wright, but also for political gain. And, and, and you really want to know the truth. That's one of the reasons why I did not vote for him. I couldn't vote for him in good conscience for one thing. One, he supported abortion. And two, you, you leave your church for political gain. I, I cannot support anybody who does that. I, you know, that's one of the things you're going to do. You're going to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. If you're going to stand for a principle, it doesn't matter what your, uh, you know, if your pastor is teaching things. You, he was a part of the congregation for 20 years, and there's no way he can say <laughs> authentically that he did not hear some of the things or he did not ascribe to some of the things that Reverend Wright uh, preached and proclaimed that the media just took and ran with and cost, you know, you know, well, it's a whole different story. But altogether, he, you know, he left for political convenience. And, again, he's going to church for political convenience. And, <laughs> you know, that's just one of the things that you have to look at. I'm not knocking President uh, Obama. I'm just stating the facts. And, you know, people, you need to be aware of the facts, you know. Question them. Ask them. Agitate don't just settle for it. And he still has about 91% of the black population of African Americans supporting him, despite, you know, he'll make a he'll make an appearance at the church. <laughs> you know, he's done that several times, but he is not a member of the church uh, or a church. And if you don't have a problem with that, that's fine, but I do. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get into our subject today. We're talking about movements in the church, um, particular movements. When I talk about movements, I'm talking about uh, things like the Pentecostal movement, the Word of Faith movement, things of that nature that have swept through the church. And my question is, are these movements beneficial? Are these movements um, are these movements actually helping? Are they authentic moves of God? Are they simply me, men deceiving others and, uh, you know, helping bring about the last days? So those are some of the things we're going to talk about today. And as we go into the break, I've just been in an old-school mood, and the Lord has been ministering to me with some old-school contemporary gospel music. And I want to go way back into the day to one of the uh, a joint by John P. Key that I used to sing long time in the church. And uh, I think we need to be singing this even more as we talk about the discussion about the movements of God. And we're going to talk about... All of this stuff right after this song. Enjoy.
Welcome back to Zero of the Day. Talking to Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Man, that stirred up my spirit. <laughs> I love that. Matter of fact, John P. Key was in concert here down in New Orleans Friday night. It was an awesome time. And, you know, just, hey, just one of those things that just made you rock, made you cry, and made you shout, and all that stuff, you know. I just love it. So today we're talking about, oh, before I get into the subject, again, you can join us here uh, on the show today. You can call in, 91, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm about to lose my, <laughs> excuse me, 917-388-4293. We're live in the chat room on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, shoot us an email, ltneal at cox.net, uh, Facebook, join us in. Uh, join up with us in this conversation. Today we're talking about, the current movements that are happening in the Christian church. Now, there are some strange ones, there are some controversial ones, and there are some outright heretical ones that are happening in the Christian and contemporary Christianity today. And, uh, of course, our goal is to, you know, our, our goal in this discussion is to follow what the Scripture teaches us. The Scripture teaches us that, you know, we, we should be able to discern these things. We should have our senses practiced. And Hebrews 5, uh, 14 says that strong meat is for those who have their senses practiced. They, they have gotten to the point where they're able to discern good and evil, you know. And, and a lot of the time, a lot of people in the church do not have that sensory discretion, uh, uh, discernment. Matter of fact, they're falling for all kinds of lies, all kinds of half-truths, all kinds of phenomena, experiences, and things of that nature that's capturing them. And they're failing to, uh, what, what Jesus said, test the spirit, test the, uh, test the spirit by the spirit, uh, test these things out, and they're not discerning, and there's so much going on. And part of the problem is, is that in Christianity, you know, and, and in, in every religion, just about, anybody can say they're called to preach and they can start something. If they have a great personality, they'll get a, uh, a great mood, you know, they'll get a lot of people following them. And uh, and that's what's happening today. And just so just so you know that this is it's nothing new. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes writes that there is nothing new under the sun, and that definitely is not a new thing. This is nothing new. Uh, things like this that's happening in the modern church has been happening since the first century. Um, we we don't think about it. We don't talk about it. But um, uh, but there's so much that's been going on since the beginning of the church, since uh, Acts 2, <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and, and Peter and everyone in the upper room was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to preach in various languages, and the Bible says that uh, that 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Well, <laughs> it's been going on since that time. You know, you've had different sects, different movements, and different uh, people, personalities. Paul struggled with, with that. And in, in, in Philippians, he talks about those people who were preaching the gospel to <laughs> because he was in jail, and they were preaching it thinking they were going to hurt him, and, you know, they would ended up spreading the gospel. And you had... Uh, John writes about uh, those who were called Gnostics, those people who had secret knowledge and they were adding to things and Christian teachings and things of that nature. Uh, as far back, you know, since the early church, the the first century church, this has been going on. Uh, you had groups like the Essenes who were basically ascetics. They 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 left the world. You know, they left the world. They left the the, the cities and they moved out into the desert, into the wilderness, and they wrote scriptures, they wrote things, and that's where we get our, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Dead Sea Scrolls from those groups. And you had different sects and, you know, different groups of Christians then, you know. You had Christian cults then. There was a cult that, <laughs> and this is really funny, you know, in around the uh, 3rd and 4th century, uh, Shortly after Christian became a tolerated religion under Emperor Constantine, you had uh, a group of Christians that met underground in the catacombs, and these these Christians practiced an, an erotic form of Christianity. You know, <laughs> basically, <laughs> it was Christianity sexualized, <laughs> and the priests and priestesses they would uh, not priests, but they, you know they they would do their thing. That was that was an act of worship. 
<laughs> yeah, I I didn't believe it either. <laughs> but you know, it it's not anything new. And it's a it's been a battle for Christianity since the beginning. As a matter of fact, the, one of the main reasons that we have our modern uh, canon of scripture is because it was the ways that it, it was a, it was a means for to bring people together under one banner of Christianity. Uh, when the church became the official state religion of the Roman Empire, uh, under Constantine, when he when he um, made it legal for them to practice it, but under another emperor, just a few uh, after Constantine died, uh, it, you know there were different things going on. Constantine had the Council of Nicaea meet in 325 A.D. and the, Part of the reasons they met is because there were so many divisions. There were there were people who were disagreeing on some of everything, and that's where we get the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, from. Because these group of men came together and they basically <laughs> they say, okay, this is what we want, this is what we don't want, this is what we think is real, this is what we don't think is real, and they had the qualifications for uh, you know what scriptures should be included in the New Testament canon. And things of this nature. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the primary reasons that um, they they, uh, they write this uh, is because they they need to settle disputes on this. They had uh, several councils. I, I talked about the Council of Nicaea, uh, the first Council of Constantinople that that was uh, that was that met to settle the dispute of crisis. Uh, no, the divinity of the Holy Spirit and the fight Arianism. So uh you know you had all you had all those things uh, that were going on and they that was one of the I'm getting some feedback somewhere so I'm find out where this is coming from and, and we can uh get that down but um you had the council of Nicaea you had the uh, you had the Council of Constantinople to settle the dispute about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. You had uh, the Council of Chalcedon, and, and this is interesting because you had people who were basically uh, talking against Christ's divinity, and this council met to defend the full divinity of Christ, that Christ was fully man and fully God, fully human and fully fully God, and, you know, there were several people who argued against that. But what's little known about that, that same council, is that they also, they they also were ordaining women back then. Uh, this is, you know, this is in the 4th century, 4th and 5th century. And, you know, there's a big thing about women in ministry today. And it's a dividing line for so many people about women in ministry, men, women pastors and stuff, things like that. But this council uh, actually met, the Council of Chalcedon, they actually met and they, they agreed that women can be ordained. And they said that no woman under 40 could be ordained <laughs> unless they met full, they went through full scrutiny of their, you know, whoever was the authoritative figures of those days. And, and I thought about that and I was like, oh, my God. So what's all the huff fussing, fussing, fussing about? But you know that's that's a little things that they they're all about. So I, I I did all that background, just a little bit of that background, just to let you know that this is nothing new. And it, as we go further in time, we see uh, you know other movements like the reform, the first Reformation of Martin Luther against the Catholic Church. And then we see the English Reformation. Uh, we, we see the Calvinist Re- Reformation. And we're thinking about the Wesleyan movement uh, or the, that led to uh, the holiness movement, that led to the Pentecostal movement, that led to the, all these variations of the charismatic movement that we're seeing today. And uh, the ecumenical movement uh, that's led to not just, excuse me, not just the bridging a gap between denominations, but the economical, ecumenical movement that's led to the bridging of gaps between religions. You know, where people are including other religions into the Christian uh, Christian faith and things like that that people don't think about, but those movements are are happening and they're going on. And we're going to talk about that because a lot of people just don't know about 
the church. They know about the church that they go to. And I, I guarantee you that a lot of people who go to their church do not really know what their church believes, uh, what they ascribe to. They don't. They can't tell you the, that church's statement of faith uh, or statement of belief or the articles of religion or their confessions. You know, they, they can't articulate that. They can't go through the catechism if there is one. And most church people, and I said it, I'm saying this now, most church people who go to church weekly are just plain old ignorant of some things. And they're more susceptible to these false movements or these uh, heretical movements that are going on, going on today. So we're going to talk about some of these, some of these movements that are going on and uh, how profitable they are, how unprofitable they are, uh, are they heretical? Why are they heretical? Why you should be uh, aware of this and how you can combat this in your individual faith and in your collective faith as the body of Christ. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the Pentecostal movement. And we're going to talk about the emerging church or the emerging conversation this is called. We're going to talk about the inclusion church movement and the progressive movement. Uh, the Christian New Thought, the New Age Positive Thinking Movement, of course, and we're going to talk about a, a, a least a lesser known movement of the House Church. Things about that, and uh, we're going to start off our conversation talking about uh, the the wide ranging Pentecostal movement. So we're going to take a, another little break, and once we come back from that, we're going to talk about the wide ranging Pentecostal movement. Yeah, here's another John P. Key. Uh, Jumpy Key song I just love this and
Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That was John P. Key. <laughs> Never shall forget. It's, uh, again, one of those great things. Uh, I want to get right back into the discussion. Again, this is Pastor Neil Zero today. Join us. We're in the chat room live, blogtalkradio.com. Call us on the line, 917-388-4293. Join us in the chat room. Send us an email, l2neil at cost.net. I want to start this discussion off uh, the, the current movement that is uh, we have come to know as the Pentecostal movement. And this is a broad movement because it, it umbrellas several things. It umbrellas what some people call the Word of Faith movement. It umbrellas what some people call the uh, charismatic movement, the full gospel movement, full gospel Baptist movement, Church of God in Christ um, uh, latter rain, dominion, kingdom now kind of the uh, theologies. Uh, things, uh, people such a, uh, see, you got the people who are involved with this, uh, people like T.D. Jakes, Rod Parsley, uh, just to name a few, uh, other people who are involved with this Pentecostal, uh, again, you know, denominations such as the uh, Assemblies of God, the uh, uh, apostolic churches and apostolic faith, things of those nature. These all fall on the umbrella of the Pentecostal church, uh, Pentecostal movement. Uh, now, there's nothing new about the Pentecostal movement. Uh, the Pentecostal movement, of course, has been around since the first church, the first century church, and as um, and as late as the 16th and 17th century, there were movements that we can consider uh, Pentecostal, where you had people uh, speaking in tongues and various miracles and signs and wonders that were operating. And uh, well, we get the modern Pentecostal movement that happened in 1906 at the Azusa Revival in Los Angeles, California, where you had believers gathering, and the modern Pentecostal movement was born. And uh, variations of that. Now, uh, the Pentecostal movement is birthed out of the holiness, holiness movement of the uh, 18th and 19th centuries, and then you had, which is actually come, came from the Wesleyan movement, uh, and, and it includes my denomination, Methodism. We are all a part of the holiness umbrella per se, but uh, it has it has kind of evolved into something that is a big monster. Because under the umbrella of Pentecostalism, you have those sects that are Jesus' name only. You have those that are, uh, uh, again, like the Word of Faith, that uh, the prosperity more associated with the prosperity gospel or the wellness gospel, things of that nature. You have the uh, just the charismatic churches, and uh, most of these churches are some are denomination. Excuse me. Some are denominational, mainstream, Catholic, Lutheran, and some are not. You had, you know, evolution of the Christian centers, the uh, all these other things. Within that movement, you have several, uh, several things, and and it's, it's hard to categorize them, but they all share one common trait, and uh, one main common trait is that they share in the belief of the speaking in tongues and. Um, some share in the belief of modern-day apostles and prophets, uh, and, and, of course, all of the, the spiritual gifts of healing and uh, things of that nature. Now, the danger about that is that, in the past, particularly in the 20th century, when you had the rise of the Pentecostal movement, they later gave birth to the charismatic movement that is giving birth to the Word of Faith movement. You had a lot of people that got into areas. Those gave birth to people like Benny Hinn, People like uh, Jim Baker, people like uh, Jimmy Swagger, people like, oh, you know, I could go on and on. The list goes on and on uh, of people who have abused this this movement and used advantage of it, you know, and modern-day pimps in the pulpit. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you have those who uh, preach the kingdom now, dominionists, you know, we're supposed to take authority. I think that's Bishop Eddie Long's. Uh, logo and that that's his motto for his his ministry take authority and you know came claimed the the country for the kingdom and all of this thing and and nothing is wrong well there is a lot wrong with that but uh but in 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 its simplest form there's nothing wrong with it because God does tell us that we are to be uh in the world but not of the world and that we are supposed to be uh, 
the kingdom of God is supposed to be shared within us because the kingdom of God is within us, and in so way, so many ways, yes, there's a uh, that that there is some truth to that. But you know, when it comes down to you know claiming the church, I mean, the church taking authority and all that, uh, it gets more to a theocracy, which I don't believe any of us really want because that means God will be controlling us and telling us what to do, and we're kind of selfish people. We like getting our stuff. But um, in, in the Pentecostal movement, you have all these things, and you have some various teachings. You know, it goes from one extreme to, you know, there are some people in the Pentecostal movement, you know, who teach um, that healing is for everybody, tongues for everybody. If you're not baptized uh, or speaking tongues, you're not truly saved. And then you have those on the other end of the spectrum who uh, you basically, you know, they get off into the radical things, heretical teachings. Uh, uh, I'll Specifically, I want to talk about the prophetic movement and the Pentecostal movement, uh, the rise of prophets and apostles who are supposedly speaking words for God, direct words, direct utterances. And when I say that, it, it goes against what we have considered to be a closed canon because it, there are people who are saying that God is still giving direct revelation. And, and it, became, uh, it all depends on how you interpret direct revelation. If you interpret direct revelation as that uh, the Bible is not closed and that God can still give you utterance in addition to what the Bible says, then you're in error. Uh, because we do believe the scripture is closed, canon is closed, and that what God has said, he has said. Now, that does not mean that God cannot reveal different things to you in illuminating through scripture. And everything that anybody says, any preacher, any prophet, any apostle, anybody says, anything anybody says should be founded in Scripture. You should be able to search the Scriptures that they should verify. And then Scripture also tells us, you know, prophets should be able to judge prophecies. And we, we, we live in a world where there are plenty of false prophets masquerading as uh, real prophets. You know, they're telling, it, it is interesting to me, this is this. You have a lot of prophets who always say that they prophesied something after it happened, but they, you, cannot, you can't find any record in of it before. You know, you can't find, especially if they're popular, you know, they're always coming out saying, well, I prophesied this event would happen, and they say, I said it on this day, blah, 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 but it doesn't really relate to what actually happened. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Those kind of things. And with the apostolic movement, you have those people who believe in apostolic authority. In other words, that there are... Uh, Chosen apostles who are supposed to run the church, govern the church, the entire church, and you're supposed to be subject to them. Now, there's nowhere in Scripture when you read, even at the church, you know, as the church met in Acts, in, in Acts chapter six, as they would, uh, as Peter and the church of Jerusalem saw that the mission work was getting greater, and they could not do the mission work, they set aside deacons. They went and they set aside the deacons to go forth and do the, the the mission work of the church while they did the administrative work of the church. But they did not govern the church per se. You know, they did establish uh, things for the church to do. But, you know, when when Paul was called, he, he challenged those because Scripture, you know, he challenged that God is no respect of person and God respect, uh, the church is called to all, Jew, Greek, Gentile, free, slaves, men, women, and, and things of that nature. But you, you have those people who are promoting the, the, those type of things. And, and, and then on top of that, this is my personal thing. I just want you to know, I have a problem with everybody who's coming up and calling themselves bishop, apostle, prophet, and all that. I'm not knocking it, but if you just started preaching five years ago, there's no way you can be a, 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 a bishop. <laughs> You're still a novice. And if you call yourself an apostle and you just started preaching five months ago and you're an apostle all of a sudden, uh, you need to check that out. So, <laughs> also, I, you know, you're a novice, and Scripture teaches against that. And, and and most of us, most of us really don't take the time to really examine Scriptures. First uh, Timothy three gives a great uh, analysis of how we should uh, recognize men and women who are authentically called and authentically uh, set apart as ministers. And and it does include women, uh, although it says that. Uh, the bishop, the elder, should be the husband of one wife. That's a whole different discussion I'm not trying to get into. But the Pentecostal movement, um, it, has some, it has some interesting things. Now, I, I, I'm not knocking this because I've experienced uh, 
movements in the Pentecostal faith. Uh, you know, uh, I've experienced Pentecostal act. Uh, I've had Pentecostal experiences. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Uh, divine healing, miraculous uh, moves of God. So I'm not knocking. I'm not saying anything is wrong with it. It's just that under this big umbrella, there's several things that have begun to function that are going against and have set up a lot of things uh, that have hurt the people of God and is hurting the children uh, the body of Christ. Uh because in this in this um in this movement you have people who are have no authority, you have people who have no um when I say authority, they don't submit to anyone, particularly as far as teaching and as far as um uh overseeing them. And and there's just so many practices that are going out that they're going out unchecked. There's no system of checks and balances within uh, the broad umbrella of Pentecostalism. And Pentecostalism has seeped into mainline denominational churches uh, because people are seeking excitement. They're seeking, um, they're looking for experiences over the uh, exegetical word. They're looking for things that are going to make them feel good and so you have a lot of these churches that are popping up that are trying to be seeker-friendly. When I say seeker-friendly, and that's a whole different movement in and of itself, uh, <laughs> seeker-friendly movement, they're trying to stay relevant, so they're doing whatever the people want to hear or want to see. And, you know, they, it's a bunch of mess. But uh, it has given way to a lot of people who are ignorant in the church. They'd rather, you know, they, they go by their experiences and they think that, what they experience is sufficient, and and they find a way to justify experiences with the Bible by making it, you know, they force it to fit. It doesn't fit directly, so they're going to force it to fit. And, you know, and that's what happens under the broad umbrella of Pentecostalism, uh, the Pentecostal movement. And it, it, it's amazing how swiftly the Pentecostal movement spread after that Azusa, the Azusa meeting. You know, it began to spread across the country and around the world. And uh, a lot of the people who were teaching certain things, they were unlearned and they, you know, they disavowed any type of training because they relied, they relied solely on the experience of the glossolalia, the experience of the laying on hands, the anointing, and all these things. And I hear it all the time where I go to churches and they talk about the anointing, the anointing, and the anointing, the anointing. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean by the anointing? And none of them can explain to me what they mean by the anointing. It's just some supernatural uh, thing, you know, experiences, oogly, googly, boogly feeling for most people. And, and, and they have no true idea of what, what they mean by the anointing or what it is, what it means to be anointed. And that's just, you know, it's nothing wrong with that, but it, it, well, yes, there is something wrong with that. People need to be aware of things in nature. So, you know, that's my question. How is that, is that helping the church? In a way, yes, it has helped the church because it has brought a lot of people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate goal of the church, to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to go out into the highways and the byways. So people coming into the church, you know, they're finding out, uh, by defining salvation through Jesus Christ. But it has damaged the church tremendously because a lot of them, once they get in there, they become legalistic. They they put on all these things, and then they begin to teach erroneous doctrines, and they begin to fall susceptible to all kinds of lies and deceits of the enemy. And, and that's what has happened to church. And I believe it's 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 been doing a lot of damage. Uh the Pentecostal movement has caused a lot of people to start their own thing, you know. It has given way to some really heretical teaching, and it has allowed practice to, uh, in effect, negate the authentic move of God for some people and in some churches. Not all churches, but in some churches. And and, and not to say that that not to say that uh, people who are part of this movement are are not Christians. No, that 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 cannot be said. May it never be said so. But most of the people in this movement are not really aware of the full encompassing 
weight of the movement on the entire body of Christ. Because, you know, it seems good. It seems like, and, and people are attracted to it. So if people are attracted to it and people are joining the church, the pastor nine times out of ten would not question and he'll probably go along, or she will probably go along with the program uh, because, you know, it's bringing in people to the church. But in even in doing so, even if we allow some of these Pentecostal, you know, experiences to come into the church, we need to be aware of how they should be practicing. And Scripture gives clear directions on how, does, how they should be practicing, where they should be practicing, when they should be practicing. does not talk against them, but encourages people to, to desire them and to to want to have them, but again, with the same thing, you know, at, while it encourages them to do so, it's also encouraging them to examine the scriptures, be like the Berean church, and not be like the Ephesian church that leaves their first love and follows after all form of doctrine, not be like the other church that's lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, but needs to be a church that's on fire. So that's just one of the things I I, I want to talk about. And I, we're running out of time, and I want to talk about it a little bit more. But like I said before, none of these movements are are new. It's nothing new. There's, these things have been going on since the beginning of the church. And uh, I want to talk. I'm, I'm going to, in the next in the next broadcast. We're going to talk a little bit a little bit more about the uh, the Pentecostal movement, the Kingdom Now, Word of Faith uh, movement. And but we're also going to talk about uh, the the um, emergent church movement, or what they call themselves, they call their they call their movement the emerging conversation. And although that that movement has some uh, Pentecostal elements, it depends on who is involved in it. They have some Pentecostal elements, but uh, they're largely evangelical mainline or uh, disassociated mainline uh, groups. Oh, and one thing I did mention about. I did not mention about the Pentecostal uh, movement that I really appreciate is that the Pentecostal movement helped bring more awareness to praise and worship back to the church, you know. And I love hymns, believe me, I love hymns. I I I, I sing a hymn any day. But one thing uh, the Pentecostal church did that I think that few people realize is they helped usher the general church back into praise and worship. You know, they wrote some, you know, they've given us some of the wonderful uh, praise and worship choruses that we sing that are standard in a lot of mainline churches now. And, of course, they brought the fire when it comes to, you know, the shouting and the dancing and the praising God. And, and more more mainline churches, more uh, Orthodox churches, even, you know, Roman Catholic churches and Greek Orthodox churches are... Uh, they're coming on and they're realizing the value of the shout, the value of the praise, the value of worship, and the necessity of that experience in the part of the uh, the whole Christian worship experience. And, and you know that's a that's a tremendous thing. So now it's standard. You go to most churches, you're going to have a praise and worship service, or praise and worship session before you have the other. Uh, the preaching of the word or the prayer or things of that nature. So that's that's a wonderful thing that's come out and um uh, that, that has come out the uh Pentecostal movement. So we're gonna talk a little bit more about some of the other movements. Again, like I said, we're gonna talk about the emergent church and what 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 does that what does that mean? What is an emergent church and what is it involved in, and excuse me, why is it heretical in some cases, why is it not heretical? And then uh Hopefully we get into another conversation about we get into another conversation about uh the inclusion church or the inclusion church movement and this is one that oh I know I probably have a lot of calls about because it involves some people who are famous but it also involves some doctrines that are, are straight from the devil. So I appreciate you guys for joining in on the broadcast. Listen, we'll still be in the chat room. You're free to join in the chat room. If you enjoyed the conversation, let us know. Send us an email. Let us know. Enjoy the conversation, uh, the, uh, the broadcast. Uh, join us on our broadcast every Monday that you can. We're here, and we're sharing what God has showed us and blessed us to be able to do. And we look forward to sharing next week on the broadcast with you because we know that God is everlasting 
and eternal and that he is making people aware of what they are and who they are in him. And God is just great. God is just awesome. We want to thank you again. Tune in next week as we get ready to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the movements of the church. And um, we know that.